Welcome to another episode of Living Your Spark Second Half. Today's guest is Marie Burns, and Marie is a certified financial planner who has been advocating for clients, her clients' financial health for more than 20 years. Yes, she's in her second half, like me. She's originally from Wisconsin, and she has helped clients with their financial lives in a fiduciary capacity in a bank setting accounting firm at Vanguard at a financial planning firm. And now she writes, speaks and educates women in her education business, which is Mind Money Motion. She also has a Phoenix-based independent advisory practice, and she has a podcast called Mind Money Motion. And she also has a financial checklist book series. We'll talk about some of that during the episode. But what she and I decided to do, and I reached out to her because I read an article she wrote, and I'm trying to get my financial house in order. And I go into a lot of detail about my money backstory. We all have a money backstory. So I thought if I talked about mine and why I have the habits with money that I do and where they came from and how I identified that and got to learn once I started understanding mindset and learning about how our mind works and how at a very young age, our brain is formed by the models we have in our lives and the conversations that we hear, uh, even if it's in the background and not directed at us. And so I thought, wow, this is a really great subject that applies to everyone. And a lot of us avoid money. If you're anything like me, it's like, it's the last thing I want to do on my list. If I, I got to do my bills. Oh, I got to do this. It's like out of sight, out of mind. That's where I'd prefer it to be. And that's not how I want it to be. And so while I'm working on getting my financial house in order, so to speak, I have bought a Quicken course that I'm taking, uh, and it was just a very timely uh, article. And and then I thought, well, I want to reach out to her because I think she sh- she would be a great guest. And it's something I've never talked about on my podcast. Uh, I've never had somebody who can speak to this topic, and and of course. What is her business? Mind, money, motion. It's all about mindset, your money, and the action that you take or don't take. And because we had so much to talk about, and I knew this was going to be a big subject, we met in advance and we talked about how are we going to break this down? Should it be one episode? How how long do you think it should be? Let's break it down to parts. And because Maria is very organized, I love it so much. We talked about how that, well, we talked about basically the different topics that we could, we should focus on and how to break them down in the best way for you to listen and have it be interesting. And what we came up with was really three separate topics. One around what is your money story? What is a money story? How did we get here? So it's more about the past. Then understanding 
your money mindset. So we have the story and where it came from, but where are you now? Like, what are your thoughts about it? When you think about spending money, wh what, what comes to mind? Uh, what's the little kind of inner critic in your head saying to you uh, about spending money? So that's a whole another topic, right? But it's more about the present day and, and your mindset where you are today. And then there was this third piece, which was more about, first of all, once you understand what your money mindset is, what's the next step? Where do you go from here? So it's more future oriented. That's kind of where I am now. Uh, what are the next steps that I need to take? What's the motion that uh, needs to happen? And so she gives some tips. She has great resources on her uh, on her not only her podcast yes but on her website and she she speaks to everyone not just people in their second half but of course her being in her second half uh and her kind of leading into this post midlife passion i mean she's always been passionate about the finance side of things but having built this business that she now has and is doing a podcast that's relatively new and so she's sparked and She's also a good candidate for my podcast because I like to interview people who are sparked in their second half about what they're doing. And so there were so many reasons to talk to her. And so I'm so excited she's she's here and we broke the episode down to two parts. So the first part is more about the backstory, how you got here and then where are you now? And then part two is more about, okay, now that you know that, what are the next steps? So this episode, you can learn a lot. You can learn a lot about this when you listen to these two parts about you can start to reflect on what's going on as it relates to money, what's your relationship with money, and then what can you do about it? So I think it's, it's going to be super helpful. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Marie and let's get talking about our money mindset. Hi, I'm Lori Wright, also known as Not Your Average Grandma. I created this podcast as a place for women in their second half of life to go to to receive inspiration. If you are at a place where you believe your best days are behind you, it is my hope one of these episodes will spark you to think differently and lead you to a new belief that your second half may actually be your best half. I want you to stop seeing your age as a limitation and start seeing it as your superpower. You have years of experience and value that the younger you never had. So it's time to lean into that and use it to fuel your future. No more letting age or circumstances hold you back from the pursuit of a more fulfilling and fun life. The happier we are, the better the world will be. So instead of settling for what you don't want, how about going after what you do want? Listen in and let something you hear prompt you to take the first step in making the rest your best. Welcome to another episode of Living Your Sparked Second Half. And my guest today is Marie Burns. And I'm excited to talk to Marie. In fact, I met Marie because she did an article on a newsletter that I subscribe to. And they're such great articles in that newsletter. I should give it a plug. Don't you think, Marie? Thank you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's called 60 and Me. And it's perfect for the person who's at my age, second half, 
And Marie's article was about finance. And I need to get my docs in a row as she has a freebie that is just that. And I thought, oh my gosh, I want to talk to her because I think it's a topic that is important. And I never have really talked about it on my podcast before, Marie. Good, good. Never it's, too it's, late. Never too we, early either. We don't like to talk about this stuff, I don't think. Do you You're find right, that? It's no, it's so when we talk about what what you were reading about from a money standpoint, it's the financial house in order. It's kind of getting your docs in a row. It's getting financially organized, which is a lot of mini estate planning related. It's where do you have things and how is it titled and beneficiary and where you want it to go. So it's that whole estate planning topic that nobody wants to think about. That's death and dying and incapacity. That's not fun stuff to think about. No. And that's what my parents do. And I'm not that old yet. There we go. That's the other mindset. We don't do that. That's down the road. <laughs> so, okay, I jumped right into it. But why don't you? Why don't we back up and you just talk a little bit about who you are, how you got into this, why it's your passion. Okay. And we're going to have a great conversation today around, well, I'm going to share my money story. I think people have very similar stories. I didn't know that I had a money story. Mm-hmm. And when I started getting coached and by my business coach, and he knows a lot about this stuff as it relates, it's it, he has kind of a spiritual spin on it because it's a lot of our belief system. And he talks a lot about how we're wired in a certain way. And so I find it fascinating that we are wired in a certain way and it affects our relationships, like our kids, our spouse, our, the people we come in contact with. But I never thought about it affects my relationship with the money. And so once I learned that, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is something I need to help with my students with because we do talk about mindset in my program. But I need to fix on my end because I still see these habits that I have that I know were learned by the models I had. And so those are hard to to unglue and unlearn and kind of retrain the mind. So tell me, so that's why I hooked up with you because I thought you could bring a lot of value to the women who listen to my podcast. So let's, and I think by revealing some of my vulnerable aspects and how I am bad at managing my money will make people feel like they're not alone in Mm -hmm. That's their problem. And it's just, it's different ways of mismanaging. You can overmanage your money too, to an obsessive kind of compulsive type of thing. So, so let's, you introduce yourself and I'd love to know how you got into this field. Sure, sure. So my name is Marie Burns. I'm originally from Wisconsin and I was actually, you know, you talk about a thermostat. We have this thermostat that's kind of set in childhood, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but it's a thermostat for all of our relationships with people, money, and food. So I was actually a registered dietitian with a business minor for the first 13 years, baker's dozen years of my professional life. And so I joke now I'm in the financial services industry and have been for over 20 years. I joke with my clients that I used to help people manage their diet and exercise, and now I help them balance their finances instead. 
because it is truly very behavior oriented. And it was truly all impacted, both food and money, by that relationship thermostat that was set way back when we were children. So at any rate. And how did you go that path? Yeah. How, what was it? Did you have a personal experience? Because a lot of times I know that for me, it's kind of the path I walked and what mm-hmm. I learned along the way is what I feel really compelled to share and to right. help people with. Right. Well, and that, yes. So it started because of my prevention minded person for everything. So it was health, diet and exercise was always a personal interest as was finances. So I had a business minor, but food service and food science and nutrition major, which took me into being a registered dietitian. So about a dozen or so years into that, after having four children, I kind of looked around and said, geez, I probably should have, you know, I I had a lot of consulting opportunities and no retirement plan at that time. So I said, oh, I better be focused a little bit more on that. And I had a very unusual opportunity to actually work for an advisor at a bank and you get paid to do your job, but also get your licenses, take your exams, pass your certifications. And so that's how I was able to segue into the business minor side of my degree and become a certified financial planner through all of that. And so that's where I started working with couples. Lots of times I I would be working with women and seeing over time that whether they were single yet or not, 90% of all women will eventually be solely in charge of their household finances. And so I saw this huge need for a lot of times, just you, as you were saying, women feel not confident or like they have a lot of bad habits. And so we often defer to the man in our life. If there is a man in our life, one of my favorite bumper stickers is a man is not a financial plan. (laughs) Because once again, 80% of married women die single. 80% of married men die married because we're statistically likely to live longer. So sooner or later, women need to know about and be comfortable with their finances. So that's really what motivated me to segue into this side business, which is what you see, the mind money motion business, which is where I've written some checklists and some books and have a podcast like you and written a blog for 60 and me, for example, to really try to help women feel comfortable, better understand what they have so that they can make these decisions now or when they are on their own better going forward. Yeah, I love one of your, I don't know if it's a checklist or a workbook or what, but it's called Don't Rely on Your Honey for Money. That's another workshop. Yes. A workshop. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's what, well, do you think it changes or has changed generationally? Because I think we're not, I think women wait longer to get married now. And so you have to have some sort of independent financial management of, you know, at least writing, doing your own bills and writing your checks. Whereas before people would go right into marriage and they didn't have that time. Yes, although there's some research, and I should find it while we're talking here, that was very surprising to me because it was fairly recent research. And they found that even with millennials, more than half of the women's spouse, spouses, still defer most of the financial things to the husband, even if it's a millennial woman who's, like you said, on her own for however many years, and then gets married, then it's like she pivots and defers to her spouse. So it's definitely, interesting. 
you know, there, I also agree with your observation though, that is it generational? I would say it certainly has some generational aspects to it. There's three different couples that the, the research has shown most people fall into one of three different couples, types of couples. And from a financial couple standpoint, and the, the very first couple is the driver and passenger, where typically the man, not always, is the driver. He knows everything about all the finances and makes all the decisions and takes care of it all. And the passenger usually either is totally oblivious or glad to be not having to deal with that money stuff. So to me, that was a lot of generational. Maybe our parents or our grandparents, we might have seen that growing up where the, the, the man in the house was more in charge of the financial activities and decisions. A lot of times, way back anyway, it was he was the one bringing in the income. And mm-hmm. so that's how it, it evolved. And that certainly changed over the years as well. But then the, the second category, and I think I've seen this even with my own adult children. And as I explain these, most people are thinking, oh, that was mom, dad. Oh, that's my son and daughter-in-law. Oh, that's us. <laughs> but the second category is the joined at the hip couple. They talk about everything, not like the driver and passenger, just one person's in the know and does it all and decides it all. Joined at the hip, they talk about everything and even make all the decisions together. But then there's still one doer, one that's doing and taking care of the appointments, the paperwork, the phone calls, whatever it is. So that's the joined at the hip couple. I think, again, generationally, we've seen people evolve maybe towards that from the driver and passenger. And then the third and and last type of couple is the divide and conquer couple, where they're just like joined at the hip. They talk about everything, make all the decisions together, but then they split the duties. One might take care of all the banking and bill paying, and one does all the investments and the insurance, just as an example. So no surprise then, the research also found that the couple that does the best, the survivor of the couple that does the best, is the divide and conquer because now they only have 50% dumped in their lap compared to the other two categories. They might have 100% of everything dumped in that they've never had to deal with before. Much more stressful. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Marie and I had talked before we set up this recording and it was really great. I mean, she's really organized as you can imagine. She's organized in finances. She's organized in her thinking and putting together something thoughtful to present. And there's a lot of stuff to talk about, I mean, in this realm. And so one of the things that I thought was important to share was my story. And like I touched on, I learned that we have these thoughts going through our head that are about everything, but money is one of the topics. And we have thoughts about money when we go to spend money, when we're thinking about you know, something we need to save for, or it's invariably something that crosses our path all the time. We sit down to do bills. Like right now I'm planning a trip to Thailand. So I'm looking at all the different flights and how can I save money or do it the best, cheapest way, but the most comfortable way. And so we wanted to talk about this in a way that was helpful to you listening. And so as I was going through what she put together, I thought, oh my gosh, it's if you're looking at these different topics that we want to cover, it's like one is about the present and one is about the past and one is about the future. And so I want to bring you along the listener to 
think about as we are talking about these different topics, what's going on in your life as it relates to the present, the past, and the future. And you think I might talk past, present, future in that order, but no, I want to start with the present because the present is right now, right here, the thing that we can deal with, the thing that we can become aware of. And so I want to start with a question to you listening. If you had to pick one word that describes what money means to you in your life, what would it be? And I would love to know also, if you pick that one word, what's the feeling that comes up? Like there, there's a feeling. Some people might have a feeling when they think about spending money. Are you thinking about, do you have this you like tightening of your chest? <laughs> so <laughs> it's, oh my God, I can't spend this money. Even if it's like a $5 expense. And I think we all have, you know, heartburn with big expenses. Like my dog just had a weekend at the emergency vet, $2,200 unexpected. So yeah, it's funny. You do those things, you know, you got to do them, but yet same time it's, you know, we have feelings around how we handle money. Is there anything you would like to talk about as it relates to that and what you notice about people and do you see different types? Because one thing I see is somebody who's always in the lack mindset and somebody who's always in the, you know, it's, it's not like, it's like an abundant mindset, but even if they don't have enough, there's, oh, it's abundant. It's abundant. I have it, but they're kind of irresponsible, right? So they don't really have any angst about spending it, but they might have angst on the other side of it, right? Of like when it's running out. So so what are your some of your thoughts around people's mindset as it relates to spending money? Yeah, I ask this exact question, if you had to pick one word just to sum up what money means to you in a lot of my workshops. Because part of what happens is we can never move forward until we understand, you know, the past. And a starting point is to understand why do I feel like I do today? And that's the past conversation that you talked about. But today, a lot of times, I don't think we even stop to, to answer this question. How do I feel about money? Or what does money mean to you? And so I would hear answers from the women in the workshops like security. And a lot of times that's tied to how I feel about retirement, for example. Or I would hear the word independence. They mm. feel that no matter who they're associated with, they're independent enough to live on their own or make their own decisions. Flexibility is another word that comes up. And then you have the other extremes like survival. It's like you said, that that lack, that just overall feeling of, do I have enough? And so survival versus you know the other end might be power or prestige where they feel like it's not an issue anymore and it it makes me feel powerful. So lots of different feelings and and meanings but again this all goes to that relationship thermostat that we talked about that up to about the age of 7 you know we've all we've all said that oh my goodness these kids their brains are just like sponges 
And that's exactly what those those first seven years are, as you're absorbing and absorbing, which is all great and wonderful, except that our brains aren't developed enough to actually filter anything of what you just absorbed. Mm -hmm. You're absorbing all the good and all the bad and all the not so good and the dysfunctional and the helpful and the not so healthy. And it just all gets absorbed and imprinted, if you will. Don't they Mm -hmm. say your brain isn't even fully developed until you're like 25 years old? For those of us that are parents, it's, oh my gosh, that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, honestly, the tapes that are playing in our head have, have been playing, they, they start playing much earlier. So you not only have your continued, you know, malleability of your brain to pick up these things, you're also <laughs> already got stuff on tape. And it tends that whatever your whatever lens you're now looking out of is just further emphasizing what's on those tapes. So you're looking for validation on the tapes. You're not looking for the alternative. You're not looking for like the the other attorney's view, as I like to say. Oh, there um, you go. That's yeah. Yeah. What do they call it when they, you know, the cross-examination? It's Your, your brain is never cross-examining. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so everything that we've heard or felt or experienced had an imprint of some kind. And a lot of times, that question segues to, well, what are some of your early memories? Yes. Yes. So that's why I want to start with present. Sure. Because present is all about what you're thinking now. And how you're acting now. How you're behaving, feeling. Yep. Yep. And developing an awareness. Because you can't fix anything until you know it exists. And so you're just start to be aware of those thoughts as it relates to money specifically, because we got a lot of thoughts going on and we can have multiple podcast episodes about those other the ones that so we're going to focus on the money ones. And then you're going to start to notice, and hopefully this podcast episode will help you turn that awareness switch on. Mm-hmm. So now the next time you go spend money, when you're handing over that cash or you're writing the check or you're, the credit card, credit cards have made it really easy to hand over that money. And then what's what's going on with you and we're not going to judge right we're not going to judge those feelings we're just going to feel like what am i feeling and then let's go back there sure let's go back to where did that come from right so we start to be the detective i always have the vision of that Columbo, right? You know how he would like, a lot of people don't understand that, but the younger people, but he was so funny and he had this trench coat and he always had this puzzled look on his face, but he always would ask the right questions. Oh yeah. And so you put your little Columbo hat and trench coat on and you start to be the, you know, the investigator, like where did that come from? Why is it possible Mm -hmm. that I had that thought? Well, and you made a really good point about credit cards, because today our current behavior is also very driven by what the market knows works, which is swiping instead of handing over physical dollars. And now it's even easier on your phone. You don't even have to swipe. You just 
show your phone, right? Or your hand, even. I saw that recently. I think well, yeah. and in some your palm, that, put your palm over here. I'm like, that's right. In some countries, it's bless you, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> you wish it was for that reason. Yeah, it's like, it's such a gesture. I never thought about it. It's not a gesture. You're not like going, you know, with your finger across your neck. Like that would be like, oh, don't do that. But you're just putting your hand down, like high-fiving it. Right. (laughs) So that's a part of marketing psychology is the more painless they can make the experience and the decision, the more likely you are to make a purchase. And the research absolutely shows you spend more when you purchase with a credit card than you do with cash because it's quick and easy and the decision and it's all over before you even stop and think about it. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it. You don't even see it till the end of the month. Right. Right. And now some countries have the technology that I'm sure it's coming to a local store near us. If you have your phone in your pocket, you walk into a store, fill your bag with what you want and you walk out. No cashier. It's all auto deducted through the phone on your way out for everything that they have scanned that you put in your bag, all in the ether. <laughs> yeah, that's scary. Yes. Even from that's a scary. So yeah. Makes me so wonder what I'm <laughs> worth. Are they scanning me? Well, who knows? What, what, what I can see humans each have value. That's scary. That's a scary thought. That's very interesting because it's so true there's no barrier or as much of a barrier like you're handing the money and it's and but you're just like swiping and or hand gesturing and you're just yeah makes it have you ever had children or grandchildren that you've given them money they spend their money very differently than if they're asking you to spend your money you know we've had the situation over the years where the child is asking for this And you say, well, you could choose to buy that. Here's the money that you're receiving from grandma or whatever for your birthday. And now suddenly that they were asking for is too expensive because it would use up all of their money. So they have, they're making different choices. Mm -hmm. It's that physical cash that in the present makes us stop and rethink, you know, almost that buyer's remorse thing before we actually do it versus a card or on our phone. It's just so easy. There is no second guessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So in terms of what came up for me when I started to become aware of my thoughts and my habits, I realized that I had recreated exactly what my mother did. Mm-hmm. And it, and I was the one who always managed the money, even though I'm a terrible money manager. Isn't it funny how it's, you don't, it's just, you don't have these conversations usually before you get married that's probably why you should do premarital counseling, right? You don't say, who's going to manage the money or who would be better at that? And should we take a class maybe to get better at that? And so it was just like, I did it. And I think partly because I was a control freak and I didn't want anybody telling me how to spend my money. So I just do it. And I think he was just fine with it. He was just go with the flow. And he also was a spender. So we had two spenders and my mom was a spender my mom did the money. So I, it was just like, I, that was my model. So I fell into that. I got married at 22. And what I recall from my growing up years is we always had a nice middle class, you know, income 
life. We always had a nice life, probably a little bit better than middle class. We, I think we lived a little above our means. My parents were both school teachers who then got their master's degrees and became, you know, you get a little bit more money when you have a master's degree with a teacher. My dad went, got into administration. So even though we had a nice house, lived in a nice neighborhood, we even had a pool in our backyard. I always heard my mother complaining about money. It was always, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough money. I don't have money for that. And so her choices and her habits and her what I saw her do was completely contradictory to what she would say. So that was kind of confusing. And I remember they were paid once a month. And I don't even think at a small, I didn't understand about when they got paid until I got a little older. But now when I look back, it was always the end of the month. It was always this like crisis at the end of the month where money was running short and tight. And then she, it would, you know, kind of freak her out. And then she had this desk in her bedroom and she would go there and she'd write down all the checks she had written and all that. She had a ledger. She kept, she was very organized with it. So she's um, the one that paid the bills. Yes. She's the one that paid the bills. She supported my dad's whatever when he had a wild hair to get something. But I would say my dad wasn't that needy. I mean, they got a new car like every couple of years. So I guess that, you know, probably didn't need that. But if he wanted something, she would make sure there was a way that he could get it. And so, and, uh, but it was all like to the, her children, my sister and I, it was always, well, we don't have enough money for that. Or we did it. it. And I remember one Christmas in particular, it's funny how you remember when you start to look back at these things and how you remember these things. Mm -hmm. And I was, I think 10 years old and we went to Sears before Christmas, you know, it's like Christmas time and we were like, thinking about what we wanted for Christmas and that sort of thing. And I remember I loved animals and there was a stuffed dog. It was like a shaggy dog and it was a kind of a giant stuffed animal. And oh my gosh, I was like, I loved it so, so much. I held it. I said, mom, look, I want this. Can I get this for Christmas? And she came over and looked at it. I think it was $18, which was probably a lot of money back then. It's funny. I remember it, right? I remember it. It had a a red collar and I was so like, wanted it so bad. And she was like, no, that's too expensive. Even Santa can't afford that. You know, I just remember that. And that Christmas came and I opened my present and it was that dog. And I was convinced that Santa existed. Oh, because we couldn't afford it, uh, but Santa could. Sure. And that was like one of my best Christmases because I was like, hey, but you know, isn't it so funny that these, these little money stories mm-hmm. carry through our entire lives and they're in there helping us or, you know, not necessarily helping us, but behind every kind of decision, every right. purchasing decision we make. So I then I ended up in a marriage where I was doing all the finances and I it was always like to the na- next paycheck. Oh my God, we got to do the next paycheck. And we I had it was the same cycle. Mm-hmm. We can't afford that. We you know, we don't have and you know, spending the paycheck before the next one came. And I it was such 
a huge awe that I had repeated, even when I didn't think I didn't like Mm -hmm. how that affected me Mm -hmm. looking back, but it's the, I guess it's the only thing I knew. Right. That's how that goes. It's you swear you're never going to be like a parent for one reason or another, as an example. And then we turn around and eventually look back and say, Oh, I am my mother's daughter. You know, I'm curious, do you think now looking at what were they a joined at the hip couple? They talked about it, but she was the doer of the joined at the hip or was he totally out of the picture and they were I think he, passenger? I think he was completely oblivious, oblivious uh, to the most okay. part, except when they would have a major purchase, they would be in on it together. But I think he just didn't, he had his head in the sand. He didn't want to know about it. It was free and easy for him. Ooh, this is great. <laughs> they, they had joint checking account and he contributed and it was probably auto Mm-hmm. You know, input. And that, that was really the same in my situation. I mean, I couldn't have recreated a more identical. You know, he, you know, he trusted me. I paid the bills on time. In fact, it came to a point where we were making enough money that he could retire early. He was a police officer. And so he could retire early. I was doing really well. I was the breadwinner. And so he could retire early because he really wanted to do something else. And so he, he had enough years. I think he had 25 years, 26 years. So he had enough time in the, well, we got divorced at 25 years and he was a police officer before he got married. So yeah. So he, I think he did close to 25 years of service. So he was able to get another good job in something that he was really interested in and passionate about that he could have never done, you, you know, being stuck in that one profession his whole life. And so I, I always kind of wanted him to experiment and see what, what else was out there because I knew that he would be really good at other stuff. Mm-hmm. And in, a, in an environment like a police department, you're very, uh, you know, there's a list and you have to take tests and then yeah. it, it's just a very, the promotion process is very difficult. And he did get promoted all the way up to lieutenant, but he left and I said, okay, you do the bills now because <laughs> I'm, you're, you have a little bit more time and I, that will help me a lot. And then I remember he hadn't been doing them very long and he missed the mortgage payment. <laughs> and I was so pissed because I was like, we never missed the mortgage payment. But yeah, it was hard to let go of that, mm-hmm. but I think I got to the point where I was like, I don't want this to be all my responsibility anymore. Sure. And I felt like he could do it better. Mm-hmm. See, there's that common, just general nature thought of women that tend to think that the, the male spouse is better at it. You know, that research even had some quotes from a lot of the women that they studied that well, my husband just knows so much more about this than I do. Or very commonly, I have no interest whatsoever, so I'm glad he's willing to take care of it. Or I honestly feel I have no doubt that I can totally trust him. And that is or isn't the issue most of the time. But, you know, you're still deferring and saying, I don't say anything, I just listen, and he takes care of it all. And yet the research also found that most men would rather that the woman at least be involved in the decision-making. So that's a good combination if we can just convince women in general that 
it is good to at least be aware. Because like you said, you're just now being aware as you think about it. And the common denominator with you and your situation and your mom and her situation was the awareness. Whoever paid the bills, whoever pays the bills is way more aware of the household finances. So you mentioned, you know, you gave him that chore back and then it becomes more top of mind for him. I've had that exact same experience with my husband. One is much more concerned about the spending when they are the one paying the bills. <laughs> yeah, so- it's interesting too, because looking back, I even though I didn't know anything about money mindset then, I think I knew deep inside that I wasn't good at it. I came to the point where I, and I was like, help me please. But what, I don't know what made me think that somebody who didn't have any interest in it at all for so many years would all of a sudden be interested and good at it. So it's kind of like I gave him something that he probably wasn't even wanting to do. I was like dumped on him. And, and that's that not be, fair. Well, and then you mentioned that um, spender, you know, versus spender saver. I'm, I've been involved with Financial Peace University. That's the Dave Ramsey program for getting your finances in order. And one of the quizzes they have everybody do is this nerd and free spirit quiz. It's the same thing. Who's the spender? Who's the saver? And even just to be aware of that helps you understand the other person's perspective on these decisions that hopefully you're making together. So awareness is key. You're right. Starting with the present of how am I, how are we, and then look back to say, and why is that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then say, and how can we change that to be more healthful? Awareness, acknowledging, awareing, being aware is absolutely the first step. Yeah. Understanding your present situation. Yeah. Yeah. And we would go out to eat and spend tons of money on dinners and just, you know, not being really wise about, you know, that that's that having a habit of going out to eat is can drain your bank account pretty fast. Yeah. That's one of the heaviest spending areas for everybody. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So now I'm in a second marriage and he was a finance major. So I married good in that respect, but we have always kept separate accounts. Mm. We do divide and conquer, though. We split up who does what, and we both know what the other is doing. Very helpful. So we have insight, but yet at the same time, I don't really want him like looking at what I'm spending money on. And he is super frugal. And so like he will, like we'll go out to dinner, for example, and we don't go out hardly at all. It's like on special occasions. And he'll be like, did you know how much that drink was? (laughs) And it's so opposing. I mean, I guess it's good, but it's, do you have a lack mindset? You know, but he has, he comes from that they really were, they didn't have as much money. They when he was growing up, his dad became very successful. But when he was young, his money mindset was all about, you know, limiting and holding That's back. So good and that you know that because yeah. then it all makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So it's been interesting. And one of the things that, you know, I was excited to talk to you about is, okay, so that's the past. And and if you're listening, what are some of the patterns that you are now maybe seeing that you are 
carrying out today, like the, the way you spend money, the way you feel about money, what comes up? And it, are there things that you see in your past where, oh gosh, it's very likely you learned that. It's not something that, you know, it's just like anything that we get, we are taught by our parents and, and oh, yes. their spending habits and saving habits are, we carry that with us. Yes. So, so ask, One. yeah. Oh, I was just going to say one thing before we go to past that can be helpful in the present is maybe all of us have heard of Myers-Briggs, kind of that personality inventory. I think a lot of us took it in high school or college to help you see where do your personal interests lie so you can pick a career. Well, Myers-Briggs partnered with this organization called Marcus, and they have a financial personality quiz. So oh. if you just Google Marcus Financial Personality Quiz, it came out, I think, in 2021. And it's M-A-R-C-U-S? Marcus Financial Personality Quiz. 10 quick questions. And then it gives you kind of like our three couples categories. It gives you a description of the type of money personality you have. And then it also talks about the strengths of that and the weaknesses of that. So things that can trip you up. So again, it's totally a great awareness tool to think about how am I today? Because that's a starting point for ever changing something. If you don't like something about how are you today, you have to at least understand how am I thinking with my, and acting, not just thinking, but acting with my money decisions. So check out Marcus Financial Personality Quiz. And I think you'll find that very fascinating. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. That's so helpful. I'm going to go take it. So what is your money life experience? Like I shared mine. And so what did you get these habits like from your parents? What did you notice pattern wise? Yes. And I think until I was really you know, what do they say? If you want to really learn something, teach somebody about it. So as I started teaching these workshops about awareness and money personality and money mindset, I started to think about what do I remember from growing up? And what I remember is kind of the same feeling in the house that we didn't have money for stuff. And I didn't know actually until I started talking to my mother about it that she would literally take the thread out of the old curtains to sew clothes for my sister and I, because she would rather do that than argue with my father about spending a nickel for a new spool of thread. So there were definitely times where I think, you know, in looking back, a lot of us don't know where we poor, where we middle class. I'm guessing we were middle class just looking where we lived. But I have heard, so I kind of live vicariously, if you will, through all the women that, that I help or that I've talked with. So their stories have really impacted my awareness. And I try to share those with other women so that they're really stopping and thinking if that's them in that story, or if that's maybe what happened in maybe a different story, but a, a different impact. I'll never forget two probably of the most graphic stories I've heard women share. One was, and this gal was in her 70s, and we were talking about one of your earliest money memories, and she remembered in grade school that had a May Day dance, 
And her mother had told her that, you know, we have money to buy you a new dress, but not new shoes. So you'll have to wear shoes that you already have for this dance. So the way the May Day dance worked, the girls are all standing in a big circle and the boys take turns going to the middle where the girls have taken off one of their shoes. And the boy picks a shoe and then looks around to see who's the girl with the matching shoe. And that's who they're going to dance with for the May Day dance. Well, you can imagine she's got her new dress on and her shoe was the very last shoe to be picked up by a boy. And he picked it up by the shoelace and held it up like it was a dead rat. She was mortified and said she has felt to this day that she's not enough from that one experience way, way back. So, you know, uncovering these things is so valuable because then she knows where it's coming from. Right. And that's part of the point of the awareness. I feel like so many women feel guilty for their money personality now. And I'm here to say, let's think about where it came from. And probably 90% of it, you had no control over. You were a child, you absorbed, you felt, you experienced. And so you have control going forward, but don't ever feel guilty about how you are feeling now because that was basically imprinted for you. And you can't even blame parents because they either didn't know or didn't have control of the situation either. And it's just what it was. So then another woman kind of on, on the other extreme of, you know, not feeling enough, She remembers being about eight years old in one of the rooms down the hallway in their house. She heard her mother and father down in the dining room sitting at the table and their voices were getting louder and louder. The father was apparently trying to teach the mother how to balance the checkbook. And she could hear their voices escalating, getting louder and louder. And all of a sudden she hears a great big thud. And so she pokes her head out of the room that she's in and looks down the hallway and her mother is just lifting her head off of the table. Blood is running down her nose. Her father had slammed her head on the table because she was having difficulty balancing the checkbook. She said right then and there, I made up my mind. I would never rely on anyone else for money in my life. So again, most of these stories aren't this graphic and and extreme, but you can see how deep emotion, no matter how severe the situation was or not, the deep emotion scars you Yes, and has a long-term impact. So it is a painful sometimes exercise, but such a helpful exercise to stop and think about what did you live through? That yeah. has made a difference in your money personality. Yeah. Such great stories. Ugh. Thank you for that. Unfortunately, very memorable. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. The person that I learned about the whole money mindset from, he grew up in Laguna Beach, which is like one of the wealthiest towns in the country. Sure. But his father, he was, it was like a second marriage. So his father was, I think maybe 50 when he was born. So his father lived in the depression. So his father's money mindset was always turn the lights off. You know, you're going to do You know, it's, you're going to burn all the electricity and you know, they would go to a restaurant and he'd order orange juice and his dad would say, we have that at home. You don't need that, you know? And so always on him about spending money. And he said he felt like the poor kid 
and everybody else had a second home or a boat and they didn't. And they had plenty of money. I think his dad was in real estate. So, but he just compared himself to everybody else. So it, where you live and Mm -hmm. how you see yourself and judge yourself amongst the other people that you hang out with, that does a lot to your mindset as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember one gal, and again, she was in her seventies and she remembers this like yesterday that she valued having money so much that she, and as a child, this is as a child, when she's living at home, she would iron it and then hang those crisp bills on a line, like a clothesline in her bedroom. (laughs) So everybody has a different attachment, a different experience. And my message to women, and I hope we say this again and again in all of our discussions, is that the mindset you need to have that's healthy and true is that money is just a tool. Like any other tool in life, it helps you do things that you want or value. And when I say tool, I think of my husband's toolbox. Women, when we say tool, maybe we think of our makeup or our writing, if, if we're writers, or our computer, or we we do a special um, craft, maybe painting supplies, something that we use as tools. We would never get emotional about, oh, I guess I need new paintbrushes. Oh, yep, makeup's gone. I got to replace that. Never do we get emotional. And money is truly no different. It is a tool. And if we can get that mindset and then try to use it going forward, that is super healthy and helpful. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, and uh, my money mindset coach would also say, money is energy. And there's before there was this kind of money, there was, there was bear fur and, you know, hides that was our form. So yeah. So yeah. And if I think there's a whole energy conversation about if we want to go there about, and that's, we should probably talk about that as we talk about the future, because it does kind of talk about what's possible, right? What's possible. And people look at their current paycheck, their current bank account, and they think nothing else is possible. And so maybe that is where we should take a break. I think we've covered present and past and have, it's been a great conversation. Is there anything before we move on to future that you would like to say about the present or the past that we might've missed? Well, from a resources standpoint, maybe for listeners, we should um, direct them to my website where again, if you prefer videos, books, checklists, reading, there's a host of resources on a lot of this. And I do workshops on a variety of these topics. So if there's any interest in looking for more information on what we've been talking about or tools, money tools to help you in your actual money decisions, check out mindmoneymotion.com. Lots of resources. It's in alpha order, mind, money, motion. And my concept with that is the more we take care of our mind and our body, the less we have to worry about running out of money. So it's a lot about mindset, healthy um, decisions with our, our money and being organized 
so yeah. that we can have less worry and more life. That's my motto. Less yeah. worry. Can life. you think of something in particular that you have that spe- speaks to the mindset? Because I would imagine that there's somebody listening who's, oh my gosh, I really feel like there's stuff there that's holding me back. What would be the best? Because when we you say tools, I'm thinking, oh, that's future stuff. That's something they can get, you know, get now, learn and use in managing their money and getting their docs in a row as you're right. Yeah. I love that. So what specific to the kind of the topic about digging into their mindset would you yep, have? I'd, I'd say two things. One, uh, and everybody's different. I'm a reader. I would rather read than watch a video, but I have all of my blogs or videos, vice versa. You can read it as a blog or watch it as a video. Several different options to listen to or read on the whole money mindset topic. Oh, great. And then even part of the money mindset topic is just being aware of what you have. That's part of the money mindset. And so my absolute favorite tool on my website is the net worth summary, because it helps you look in one place at what are all of my money resources? And it lets you see the detail. It's actually reassuring to remember and see all in one place what you have. And then there's a variety of reasons that you need to look at that, that we can you know, talk about in the future. But it's a tool that helps with your money mindset to realize you have all these money tools. No matter what's happened in the past and how you feel today, this is where you are today. So it's a captured snapshot of where is your mm. money mindset and yeah. your tools today. I love that. I love that. Okay, let's take a break and we're going to come back and talk about the future. Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning into the Living Your Spark second half podcast. If you'd like to watch my guest interviews, you can find the video version of this podcast on my Not Your Average Grandma YouTube channel. Also, you can check out what I have going on at the moment by going to my website at notyouraveragegrandma.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook at Not Your Average Grandma. If you like this episode, please mention it to a friend and don't forget to leave a review so I know the topics you like best and can bring you more of that content in upcoming episodes. Last but not least, remember to always listen to that inner voice that will never steer you wrong and make living from the most sparked place possible your biggest priority. When we do that, we make the world a better place.